Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hi, everyone. I'm Dr. John White, WebMD's Chief Medical Officer and host of the Spotlight On series from WebMD's Health Discovered podcast. For this special two-part episode, you'll hear up-close and personal journeys about being diagnosed with a rare type of cancer, multiple myeloma. I started in myeloma nearly 25 years ago. And at that time, the average expectation of life in someone with myeloma was maybe one to two years. But even just in this last 10 to 12 years, we have doubled, if not tripled, the average survival of patients. I saw a new patient this week, and we had this conversation that based on what we've done over the last decade, my expectation is that patient's going to live more than 10 years. Listen to Health Discovered on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts. This holiday season, the Tunnel to Towers Foundation delivers on its promise to do good and never forget the sacrifices America's greatest heroes have made for us with their annual season of hope. Between Thanksgiving and New Year's Eve, the foundation will deliver mortgage-free homes to dozens and dozens of America's catastrophically injured veterans, fallen first responder families, and Gold Star families. Bring hope to heroes. Donate $11 a month to Tunnel to Towers at T2T.org. Happy Mother's Day, Belly Up Sports fam! Mr. Shaka Cummings, Mr. Parker Ainsworth, welcome to F in Sports, the podcast with two teachers, great sports, biggest issues. And on this very special Thursday night edition of FN Sports, <laughs> we'll talk quite a bit of stuff, jumping into Gold Stars and Detentions. But before that, Mr. Ainsworth, how are you doing on this fine Thursday evening, sir? Oh, you know, it's weird to be recording on a Thursday night, but it's it's kind of nice. Uh, ready for the weekend, I'll say. Ready for the weekend. You got any big Mother's Day plans, Mr. Cummings? I sent my mother a copy of Stacey Abrams' new book, so I'll call her on Mother's Day. Now, I know that you got big plans, hence us recording on a Thursday. <laughs> oh, I mean, we're just going down, making it's a three-hour drive to my parents' house, so we're going to go see my mom. Um, really, for the first like extended time since quarantine started everyone's got the vaccine and everyone's ready to go so we're gonna go sit down and hang out for the weekend so that means we should record before the weekend right no absolutely everyone got shots in their arm let's go hang out with fam uh mr Ainsworth, <laughs> let's talk gold stars and detentions uh my first gold star goes to john means baltimore orioles pitcher who threw a no hitter which was kind of a perfect game so i don't know if you heard about this mr Ainsworth. essentially the one caveat that didn't qualify this for a perfect game, was a dropped third strike. The runner makes it to first base, 
but the dude was out. He swung at the third strike. And then the yeah, I did hear about this. Yeah, and then the catcher ends up throwing him out, stealing second. So John Means saw 27 batters and got all 27 of them out. So it's a weird deal because this has never happened in Major League Baseball history. Baseball's been around a long time. If you're doing something no one's ever done before, that's kind of <laughs> crazy. <laughs> Mr. Ainsworth, how about your first gold star, sir? My first gold star goes to our good buddy, Jay Johnson. Now, I was surprised to see that we've never gold starred Jay Johnson. <laughs> but uh, Jay is the Hardcore Honeys podcast. She put out a quote based on actually their show on Tuesday of this past week. That uh, the quote is, uh, this is the Trailblazers' MO. Play just well enough to make a heroic push for the playoffs at the end of the season on the back of Dame Lillard. This is Dame time. It's not at the end of games. It's at the end of the season. Um, I think it's a clever way to say that they underachieve for how good Dame Lillard is. <laughs> Maybe we have that conversation later based on how things shake out. Uh, but goal started Jade for the clever insight, I thought. I also just... I hadn't handed one out to her, apparently. I need to give her a gold star. So shout out to Jay <laughs> yeah, Johnson. Yeah, apparently we both hadn't. Um, incidentally, I mean, this is perfect with uh, Stotts getting fired. And then I heard you guys talking on Midweek Midrange about the size of the Portland backcourt and whether or not they could ever truly be elite defensively. I think that I agree with you guys, by the way. They're too little to be elite. Mr. Ainsworth, my next gold star goes to Logan Paul. Because the Paul brothers, <laughs> they know how to sell a fight. Have you seen what's going on on Twitter? So Logan Paul is staring down Floyd Mayweather. They're going to have a scrap, and Floyd Mayweather will beat this dude. It doesn't matter how big he is as compared to Floyd because Floyd's a professional boxer, even at the advanced age of whatever age he is. That being said, Logan Paul stares him down, totally snatches Floyd's hat off his head, and like hides it from him. It's like sixth grade on the playground. It was awesome. The Pauls, listen. I think that they can box a little better than, like, people give them credit for. But even if you don't think they can box, they can definitely sell a boxing match. So, like, shout out to them for bringing <laughs> some notoriety to boxing. Shout out to them as marketers and boxers. And that's it. That's the whole statement. <laughs> no, listen, absolutely. Listen, they, they, they're just taking YouTube and they're putting it into boxing. And they're they're raking in the dough. Like, they, they're getting tired counting their money. Uh, Mr. Hainsworth, how about your next gold star, sir? So, this may be biased because of the logo. But my next gold star is going to the Portland. Portland Pickles, which is a minor league <laughs> baseball team in Portland, which dropped a series of new hats for the on the field collection in 2021. The hats have a pickle as the logo, like an a, the pickle is a baseball play, right? A, actual Sandlot. green pickle, right? <laughs> Shout out to Sandlot, an actual green pickle that also has a baseball hat on that has a P on it. And as someone whose name starts with a P, I am all about this logo. <laughs> Portland Pickles, sponsor our podcast. Throw some hats our way. We will rock. It's an audio-only medium, so I don't know that it helps a lot, but we will rock <laughs> the heck out of some Portland Pickles hats. Uh, listen, I'll see it on Midweek Midrange, although it feels awkward to have the baseball <laughs> hat on the basketball pod. Um, uh, Mr. Ainsworth, my final gold star. Speaking of basketball, my final gold star goes to Anderson Varajal, who hasn't played an NBA game since 2017. The Cavs signed him to end the season here. He's in the game. Now, the Cavs, I think I beat by 24 in that game or something. <laughs> but, I mean, Anderson Varajal's back. Candyman Andy. Hey, come on back. Like, I think that's amazing. Now, Mr. Ainsworth, I put out this tweet. Who would be the Anderson Varajal for the team that you root for? So, I said, maybe it's like Jeremy Lin coming back to the Knicks. He didn't have as much time as Anderson Varajal had with the Cavs. But Lin's sanity. He hasn't been in the league for a little bit. Might be cool. Who would be the Anderson Varajal for the Houston Rockets? The the funny answer I said there was also Jeremy Lin. Um, <laughs> uh, I would like to see Royce White, who went through some uh, mental health stuff in the earlier career, kind of just before we were as 
good about that as we are now. Not that we couldn't be better, right? But it was a very different time. And I wonder if he'd have a different career if he were like five years younger. Uh, if if I think back to like bringing somebody back, Yao had a really short career, and I wonder <laughs> if a few a few years after if he'd healed up his body. It sounded like. I think the quote was, I'm going to retire and drink and eat fried chicken. So I don't know that he's necessarily ready to come back. <laughs> Listen, I, he's 7'6". He's I can't teach you to be tall. Like <laughs> He can I still come in and get guy, five though. boards a game. Um, but his feet are <laughs> trash now. There's no way. Yeah, um, there's no way. <laughs> Mr. Ainsworth, let's jump into detentions. My first detention goes to Anthony Triash, whose name sounds stunningly like trash. He uh, does some writing for Pro Football Focus, PFF. His quote, Spencer Ratliff is the best player returning to college football. Detention, that's trash. I don't know if you know who Kayvon Thibodeau is, Mr. Ainsworth, but you will after he's drafted number one in next year's draft. It won't even be a quarterback. It'll be this dude. He is electric. I told you, Mr. Ainsworth, I'm not even that high on Rattler. That being said, he's not even the best quarterback. How? The dude at North Carolina is a better quarterback than he is. It's ridiculous. This is uh, Skip Bayless at its best. If you put out a trash take, and then people respond to it. But I did not respond, Mr. Ainsworth. I did not take the bait this time. Uh, just this time, though. Um, <laughs> Mr. Ainsworth, how about your first attention, sir? My first attention, I don't mean to just throw it at first take on ESPN, but I kind of could <laughs> in the defense that they're throwing out here. So the detention goes to, and I want to thank uh, at Becca MVP, Becca Winkert on Twitter. She's a great Twitter follow for basketball Twitter, big-time Wizards fan. Anyway, she tweeted out this clip of Steve Day Smith talking about how Thomas Bryant has, quote, been having a great season. Thomas Bryant had a season-ending injury in January, <laughs> less than a month after the season had started. So you can't even really talk about, like, his great season before. It was so short. And she's just pointing out, like, he clearly doesn't watch Wizards basketball. And there were a lot of ESPN analysts trying to get him Becca's whatever. Coming back. She's a Twitter person. Why are you coming back at her trying to defend this? He's not only Who cares? She's right. Like, I don't care if she's a Twitter <laughs> person or not. And when you write, you're right. This is not the first time Stephen A. Smith has kind of done something like that either. Uh, Mr. Ainsworth, uh, I know that I have a few more detentions than you. I'm just going to hit you with my baseball detentions back to back. The first one, <laughs> but I do want your opinion, especially on both of these, because I think that they'll, they'll, they'll hit home. Uh, the first one, detention of Major League Baseball for their Star Wars game on May the 4th, because it sucked. It wasn't even like it wasn't even as good as the NBA game that sucked when they did the Marvel stuff. Like I don't understand. If we can't do it, how Nickelodeon did it, nobody needs to do it. Am I right, Mr. Ainsworth? So I I watched the basketball game, the second half live, and the baseball game. I went back and watched clips to kind of do some prep work. Um, I kind of forgot it was on Tuesday, but <laughs> it, I forgot it was on Tuesday because frankly neither was like all inspiring. Like they're both forgettable. Absolutely. And then I heard, saw someone on Twitter and they were like. Oh, the uh, Marvel game was better than Nickelodeon football game. Oh, you, you, yeah, thank you. Okay. Um, okay. My next <laughs> attention, right. my next attention, Mr. Ainsworth, to the Houston Astros for complaining about all the booing that they're getting in Yankee Stadium. I mean, Mr. Ainsworth, you know my take on this. Just shut up. If you would just exist and live and allow yourself to be booed, like this would blow over. Maybe it'll take a couple years, but it would blow over. But the more you talk about it, and apparently the Astros are lodging some sort of formal complaint with Major League Baseball because of the booing. Like, get out of here with that. Well, to the 2017 situation, if you want to go back and check out the never-aired pilot, maybe we drop <laughs> that someday. Um, but no, I think that the truth is, is that one thing I do respect about New York as like fan base as a whole is they will give it as well as they take it. Like, the, if the inverse of this happened, I have no doubt that they'd be appreciating the booze, right? Like that's not, <laughs> and so I understand that. I, I'm kind of in your boat. I don't mind the booing. I don't know how this leak gets out. Like, 
who benefits from ins- anyway I, I just don't know how this thing gets out there i will say that like there was one kind of quote from Correa in the athletics article or the athletics reporting and i don't really know how many more people and how much more serious this got but twitter certainly ran with this idea that there was a formal complaint filed somehow and i don't know how that gets out incidentally like the publication that i saw that posted this was the uh, New York Post, which is basically a tabloid. So, like, I'm not, I'm not taking them at their word. Uh, Mr. Ainsworth, how about your final detention, sir? Yeah, my last detention was originally going to be a gold star. I don't really know who this person <laughs> is, but someone with the Twitter handle at M underscore right 34 had said something to RJ Hampton, to which I do not remember, and RJ just retweeted it and said no. <laughs> to which I was going to give RJ a gold star for talking back to, and like clapping back and having the bravado at 18 to come back at whoever this adult is on Twitter. But the adult deleted the tweet because they got too embarrassed. So detention to MWrite34 <laughs> for taking away my gold star for RJ. And I have no idea what you said even. So, Mr. Ainsworth, do you want to know what's crazy? Because you know how many hits I've taken to the head as a former amateur boxer and football player. I think I remember what that dude said. I think that that dude <laughs> tweeted something about how the Magic need to keep losing. <laughs> and then Hampton was like, nah. And like, I even I thought, okay, that's kind of cool. But um, as a Jet fan, like, there's something to that losing, RJ. Um, my, my final detention, Mr. Ainsworth, goes to the Indiana Pacers. Now, you may remember, Mr. Ainsworth, I was not big on them firing Nate McMillan. And there's a whole Nate McMillan signed a basketball card for me story, so I know that I'm partial to him. But the Pacers were in the playoffs every year. It didn't seem to make sense. Now, I understand wanting to push and get better. But they fired Nate McMillan and then brought in some dude who I never heard of who was in the Raptors system in Nate Bjorkin, and that's not going well. They're talking about firing Bjorkin at the end of this season. And now, there's this whole deal with uh, Goga Batadze, who apparently he didn't play defense the way the coaching staff wanted him to play defense. And so Greg Foster, who's an assistant coach with the Pacers, kind of got into him while he's playing. So Batadze comes down, hits a three, and apparently told Greg Foster to sit the F down. And so <laughs> it's like, okay, that is a dumpster fire. That whole thing is collapsing from within. And it felt like the Pacers were a franchise on the come. They went and got rid of Nate McMillan. Now they're a franchise that's disintegrating. And oh, by the way, who's the head coach in Atlanta now? Now they're about to make their playoff yeah, they're push. They're doing okay again. They're back in the top five, whatever <laughs> it is. Indiana's going to regret that firing. And I, I don't know. Maybe, maybe, maybe they go get Brad Stevens and bring him back home. Who knows? But detention <laughs> to the Pacers for this whole situation. Uh, Mr. Ainsworth, we got an awesome Mother's Day podcast. We're going to talk women's sports and why people aren't investing in it. We're going to talk NCAA transfers and why they're awful. We're going to talk. Actually, the transfers aren't awful. The rules actually might be not so beneficial. We'll talk about it. Uh, We'll also talk COVID protocols. And if any sport needs out-of-season activity, without further ado, Mr. Ainsworth, are you ready to go, sir? Ready when you are, Shaka. All right, Mr. Cummings, our thesis this week about women's sports asks about investing and engagement and so on, because I think we all look at like how great things like the WNBA be this summer and how much fun things like the women's national team are to follow. But the thesis reads, the issue with engagement in women's sports is on the investors, not the consumer. You hear that and you think what, Mr. Cummings? 
I think A+. Plus. I get the feeling that you're going to be an A+, plus too. I get the feeling, Mr. Ainsworth, that this is one of these things that I feel like we agree on quite a bit. <laughs> now, tell me I'm wrong. No, I, I'm going to go A+, plus as well. I was interested because, <laughs> anyway, I, I'll go A+, plus as well. Let's talk about it in a second. All right, Mr. Cummings. Now, people call, you know, young and dumb and this and the other thing. I'm not as young as I once was, but I thought I might have been <laughs> as dumb as I once was. And I was thinking that there's this moral cause in me wanting to give this an A+. Plus, but you've got a much, I'll say much more because I have none, but you have a much more extensive business <laughs> background than I do. And you're older and wiser. And I want to ask, how did you also come to an A+. Plus? I'm older. Let's not go crazy now with the wiser. But um, <laughs> Mr. Ainsworth, so uh, Mr. Ainsworth referenced the business background that I have. I have an MBA from the University of Kentucky. I've worked in corporate finance. Uh, so once upon a time, I worked for a Fortune 500 company. I like to think I know a little bit of how, about how business works, the overall structure of it. And so, Mr. Ainsworth, when we look at this thesis statement and this being on investors versus consumers, let's break this down first from the business side and then i'll take it to where something that i think most people can understand so let's start from the business aspect right the goal with any business if it's a for-profit business at the end of the day is the bottom line and we get that that being said i don't think that most businesses actually start out that way i think that most businesses start out with a great mission statement and the end product is to produce a product that's awesome and the byproduct is you make money off of it, right? And so I do think that most folks go into it thinking there's a need in the market for this particular product. We'll make this incredible product, right? And if I'm right that this product is awesome and it fits the need, people will come to it, right? That being said, the only way to truly get that product to market is to invest. If you don't pump money in, you can't create prototypes. You can't scale, which means, you know, build out your business so that it can reach the masses. You can't market. You can't do all the things that it takes for businesses to be successful. You need upfront money invested so that you can do all the things to scale your business to the point where the business takes care of itself. And Mr. Ainsworth, everyone, I think, understands this concept because we watch Shark Tank. You watch Shark Tank <laughs> and you look at the venture capitalist on Shark Tank and listen, there are folks who are coming in with some good ideas. They like the idea, they invest the money. There are folks that come in that have, you know, maybe their business is small. They like the concept, they invest the money. I have seen them on Shark Tank just invest in people, Mr. Ainsworth. They're not even sure if they like the product, but they like the person. And so they figure right. they'll put the money behind the person because they believe that that person can be successful. And I genuinely believe that this lends itself to our thesis statement. It's this idea that people don't watch women's sports, which is why women's sports don't get the money that men's sports get, which is nuts because once upon a time, that argument could have been made about the NBA. Right. Once you pump money into the NBA and you marketed it, then all of a sudden people want to watch, right? And you built your stars in Magic Johnson and Larry Bird. The NFL had the same issue when it was going up against baseball. Now, what ended up happening was that the NFL pumped money into marketing, money into things like video games. Like, this is how the NFL was able to overtake baseball. And if you don't put the upfront investment in, how can we truly know what the potential of any business can be? There's probably a lot of great ideas out there that have failed because the money wasn't put in upfront. And frankly, this is what a lot of companies do. They will go and find a good idea, buy the idea, 
for some money up front, knowing that they could scale it and make lots more money on the back end. This happens all the time in business. So why would it be that this same concept that applies to Fortune 500 companies, that applies to venture capitalism, that applies to basic economics, how would this not apply to women's athletics? That's why it's an A+, Mr. Ainsworth. Now, <laughs> I could talk to you about the business, but talk to me. Yeah, the wiser guy over here. Whatever. You're the Lone Star Wisdom, Mr. Ainsworth. Hit me with some of that, please. <laughs> Well, as I sit here and look at it, I was looking at it much more. I mean, you and I are both history teachers, right? So I was looking at it as like, how has this worked in other sports? And the growth in American sports has happened in men's sports. So you look at those as your examples. Um, but simply put, I also am a hip hop head. And I go to <laughs> scared money don't make none. Like that's just how this goes. Like you got to put money in this thing. Um, but it, as a history teacher, you look back at like, 1986 is the last year that there was still NBA playoff games being aired on tape delay, right? 40 years after the NBA has started, they're still tape delaying games <laughs> on television. Um, the WNBA, meanwhile, has got its own app and league pass. I know technology changes, and that's part of this too, but like... The WNBA for 25 years in, this is the 25th year of the WNBA, is light years ahead of where the NBA was 25 years in, even as, uh, like making the accommodations for things like technology. They had real, and I don't mean this to like be detrimental, but like there was a real drug problem in the NBA in the 70s, right? Like Everyone talks about the quote from The Last Dance where Jordan's like, I walked in, they're all doing cocaine and stuff, that, or whatever that was, a cocaine circus, right? I think was the quote. That was a real problem. That, like, that wasn't just a turn of phrase yet. Like, that was a real thing. Um, and so I think that if we look at how the WNBA is doing in its first 25 years, 25 is an interesting number because it also means that when you have athletes that have to play three years in college, four years in college, that these women, like we're seeing the first generation of women that does not know a world without the WNBA playing in the WNBA. And so we're talking about like, does it need an expansion? Like is the talent there to make a bigger league and what that does? And as the league gets bigger, that's again, more investment, but also means more games, means more revenue, means more markets, right? Like that continues to grow if you invest in those kinds of ways. And I, I just feel like that this is a very obvious thing to me. Like when you look at their revenue splits on how the NBA players get or how much of the TV money NBA players get versus the percentage of the TV money the WNBA teams get, right? Like if they just got closer to the same percentage, the pay would be up for WNBA players, right? But they don't get that same percentage. And the argument's like, well, the TV deals aren't the same. Well, maybe they should be. It's in the summertime. What else is on TV? <laughs> well, and here's the thing too, Mr. Ainsworth. Like if you think about the logic of what you've just said, if the WNBA players got a greater percentage of the television deal money, what would then be the incentive for the league office to create larger television deals because they're making less money by percentage in terms of the owners? Like they would actually be incentivized to go do the thing that we believe they should do. But right now, they're actually not necessarily incentivized to do that because this system kind of works for them. Now, don't get me wrong. These are business people. They're always incentivized to go make more money. But if you think about the logic behind television deals, percentage of revenue, all of the different marketing and media streams that come into sport, the reason why you reach out to them is because that generates cash. Therefore, as an owner, I can pocket more, which is why I can pay guys $200 million or Patrick Mahomes, half a billion dollars. I can do that because I got revenue coming in that's greater than that. 
If I didn't have revenue generated greater than that, I couldn't pay it, right? And there's none of these folks who are interested in taking losses because they are all successful business people. They are trying to make profits. So it feels like let's go ahead and incentivize these folks to go out, fight, and it benefits everyone. Now, Mr. Ainsworth, when you speak to the WNBA, here's what I know about the WNBA. I know the WNBA players in their off seasons go play in Europe, go play in Asia, go play for different leagues literally all over the world. And some of those players make more in those foreign leagues. So right. you tell me, how is it that in what we like to consider the most successful economy on the planet, we can't do what they can do in Russia? We can't do what right. they can do in China? We can't do what they can do in places where WNBA players are making greater revenue there. Literally, I, I don't know if you remember this, Mr. Antwerp, but a couple of years ago, Diana Taurasi, she got paid not to play. Brittany Griner got paid not to play. So they would be ready for their Russian teams right. versus risking injury in the WNBA. Conversely, it, the inverse that happens too, right? Where uh, you're talking about Taurasi and Griner, but Brianna Stewart goes and plays overseas to make that extra money because it is so <laughs> much more money. And she gets hurt and has to miss a whole WNBA season. The fact that we're not investing and in paying these women is leading to them being worn down and have major injuries faster. You better find a way to make sure that your best players don't have to do this or that any of your players have to do this because you know how it is, Mr. Ainsworth. Obviously, if you're missing your best player in basketball, that's tough. But we also know there's a lot of glue pieces to keep teams together. <laughs> yeah. Like, you don't want to lose one of those glue folks either. Uh, Mr. Ainsworth, I want to get to history. I want to get to the Civil Rights Act of 1964, and I want to get to the clause that was passed in 1972 that says no person in the United States shall on the basis of sex be excluded from participation in, be denied the benefits of, or be subjected to the discrimination under any educational program or activity receiving federal financial assistance. Mr. Ainsworth, that clause is the basis for Title IX. And if you go back and you look at what women's sports were like before this addendum to the 1964 Civil Rights Act, you had somewhere in the neighborhood of 300,000 girls who participated in high school athletics in 1971. The moment that those schools realized, oh, we have to have these sports in order to get the federal dollars, all of a sudden, now we got through the 70s, the increase in women's participation. By the end of the 70s, 2 million girls are playing sports in high school. And you had a hundred percent, over a hundred percent increase in women's participation in collegiate athletics. And now, as of, well as of 2014, uh, there's a report that was done by uh, R. Vivian Acosta and Linda Jean Carpenter. More than 200,000 women playing collegiate athletics. So it's crazy. Once the federal government said, "Hey, if you want our money, you got to figure this out," all of a sudden we figured it out. That tells me everything that I need to know. <laughs> we can figure this out, and it's going to be to the benefit of different colleges, professional leagues to figure this out. We can go back to, I believe it was 2017, Mr. Ainsworth, when the softball World Series outdrew the men's college World Series. So don't tell me that there's not an opportunity. There was, I believe it's 2018, where 3.8 million fans watched the women's Final Four. Like, you can't tell me that there's not opportunity. If you put the money in, if you market, if you invest, it will grow. It can't be 
oh, I got to see you grow before I put the money in because that's, that's never how business actually works. Like, not from a venture capitalist standpoint, right? right? Don't get me wrong. There are some businesses that start small scale, and you can see, oh, I can take this and scale it and make it bigger, right? Like, those, those businesses exist as well. And it's a risk regardless. So to me, if you look at raw data based on the Civil Rights Act of 1964, if you look at the NBA as a case study, it says to me, invest in women's sports, and then you're going to see the return. I don't understand the argument that, oh, women's sports, when we they don't get the eyes, therefore we can't invest. Like, that to me is backward based on my understanding of basic venture capitalism. I would point out a couple things, too. One, you mentioned the Civil Rights Act of 64 and Title IX. Both of those happen, and this is on Mother's Day, both of those happen in my mother's lifetime. Right. And like, I'm not gonna throw my mom's age out there, but like, oh, you better not throw your mom's age out there. (laughs) But like the Civil Rights Act of 64, like she's alive. Right. And she's alive for Title IX to be passed. And she ended up being uh, a cheerleader. Right. But like that, like athletically, like what's different if that had been passed before her lifetime? Right. Like if that had been like, who knows what happens right now? I don't think she has any regrets, but that just life could have been different. Right. I also think that you bring up like this idea that Russia's doing this with their pro-women sports and China's doing it this their pro-women sports. How un-American is it to just be like, eh, I don't think we can make money on this. <laughs> like, like that just at our core, like, when do we ever say no? Like, since the Industrial Revolution, it's been like, how can I make money on this? And so it's like, eh, I don't think I can make money on that. And we're done. Like, we're not going to try. <laughs> well, we know that when there's implicit bias in structures, that it's very difficult to overcome that. And that's really the deal here. Mr. Ainsworth, when we circle back to the United States national team in women's soccer, this is the point that they made. And people try to boil down their point, and they still try to dumb it down, to this idea that women need to be paid the same as men. And they'll cite different uh, statistics to kind of quash that. Which, was that a part of the argument that the women were making in terms of the soccer team? They were saying, yeah, we deserve greater revenue because we actually generate revenue. That wasn't the only argument, though. (laughs) The other, the major part of what they were saying is, we don't get the same level of investment as the men, but look at the level of success that we have. So why wouldn't you then, if your deal is, oh, we need to see some semblance of success before we invest, why aren't you investing in us? We're as successful as any franchise in American sport. We outdraw, in terms of viewers, our male counterparts in soccer. Like, if what you're saying is, hey, I need proof of concept before investment, how many World Cups you got to win before the concept is proved? <laughs> like, so now invest, and let's see what happens, because once you actually pump money in, now you'll be able to see what this thing can truly be. Well, and I'm a history teacher and a math teacher, but if the argument is compared to the men's team, I think they have infinite more World Cups than the men's team, so it's all the investment, right? <laughs> the, the other thing I'll add to this, Mr. Cummings, is did you read, again, we're recording on a Thursday because we both want to take some time with our families for Mother's Day weekend. Did you read the breaking story by The Athletic Today about the PGA Tour and how they're taking revenue from the LPGA Tour. Now, Mr. Ainsworth, the first time I heard about this was in the Slack for Belly Up Sports. <laughs> uh, friends, please make sure you check out the entire catalog of Belly Up Podcast. But, uh, Mr. Ainsworth, why don't you tell folks about what's going on with the LPGA and the PGA? Because somebody's a sleazy bastard and they need to be outed. Well, so this is 
again, like a very breaking report. It's not, frankly, if you have an athletic subscription, I say go read it. And if you don't, I say go get one. Absolutely. But the PGA Tour is taking more than 90% of the revenues from a joint television deal with the LPGA. Um, PGA Tour Commissioner Jay Mo, uh, Monahan. Uh, Monahan? I think that's how you pronounce it. Probably not, Monahan. Not, Jay Monahan. Yeah, yeah, well, I'm not really that sorry because he thinks it's <laughs> north of 90%. And that's not like if you're a commissioner of the PGA Tour, you need to help step in and fix this. I know that, like, as the commissioner, he's like the top guy and he's got money people and he's really just like the face of a lot of this and whatnot. But you are the face of this and your face is now on this thing right here, right? Like, this, you need to step in and fix this. The LPGA spokesperson declined to speak because, again, this is a breaking story on Thursday. Maybe that's different by the time you're hearing this. But that is the exact opposite of what we're talking about, right? We're talking about trying to find a way to invest in women's sports. And this is profiting off of without investing at all, right? Sounds like collegiate athletics. So, like, let's go (laughs) ahead and have the athletes play, profit off of them, and not really give them a cut. Again, sleazy bastards. (laughs) Okay, Parker, so the thesis statement for this commercial is James Harden has the best beard in sports. What do you think about that thesis statement? Oh, I give it an A. You know, as a Houston guy, we we seem to have an affinity for our beers between guys like him, Dallas Keiko, lots of big beards in the Houston area. What do you think about the thesis? So I'm a Jets fan, and I absolutely love the beard that Ryan Fitzpatrick has. So maybe I would give Ryan Fitzpatrick the nod over James Harden. But you're talking to a couple of bearded teachers, and we know a thing or two about making sure that you maintain that mane. So check out the beard struggle. The beard struggle, they make oils, they make balms, they even have have this heated comb to make sure that you get your beard straight so that you're looking fresh. I know I've really enjoyed using the oil they make for my quarantine beard of sorts. It's nice and long these days, but it'll <laughs> keep it nice and healthy and hydrated. And if you're listening to our show, you can use FN Sports 15 and get 15% off your oils, your balms, your shampoos, conditioners, whatever you need to use to keep your beard looking healthy. Absolutely. Check out The Beard Struggle at thebeardstruggle.com. Whether you're just starting to grow or you have a luscious mane already, The Beard Struggle's got all the products that you need. The Beard Struggle. Feast your face. All right, Mr. Cummings. The thesis reads, the NCAA change in transfer rules will unintentionally hurt basketball and football, and I'd lump in the other sports that directly affects as well, I guess. So what are your thoughts, Mr. Cummings? So I'm going to go C- minus on this one. So uh, normally, you know, AF reasons. I do think that this is going to be better for the sports more than it's going to hurt them, but I am going to – I'm leaning a little bit – at that minus. Mr. Ainsworth, what are you thinking, sir? I'm I'm close to an F, so I'll be in the D range. I guess there <laughs> are some some ways that this could hurt the sports, but I maybe just don't care about them as much. <laughs> All right, Mr. Cummings. So we went back to school. We looked at the NCAA transfer rule, the new NCAA transfer rule, I should say. So my question to you is, you gave this a C minus and weren't even sure why you were that high. So we explained to us what exactly is going on here, and why are you fighting so hard to pass this kid? No, no worries. Um, <laughs> the So basically what's happening is that revenue-generating sports are doing the same thing that all the other sports in the NCAA are doing. So the only sports where you were punished for transferring were football, men's and women's basketball, men's ice hockey, and baseball. And that's it. 
The other sports, you could transfer, and there's no one-year penalty. But with these other sports, that used to be the case. So now, these sports are introducing a one-time exemption where a student-athlete can transfer and be immediately eligible to play at their new school. So it basically now falls into the same realm as all the other NCAA sports. This is a good thing for athlete empowerment, obviously. The one piece that I want us to consider, and this is why, you know, I, I, I'm leaning just a little bit on this particular piece, right? When we look at how the transfer portal has impacted different teams with players leaving, people going in, potentially even recruiting players off of rosters, players aren't being paid. This isn't supposed to be free agency. It isn't supposed to be the Wild West either. Is there anything, Mr. Ainsworth, that makes you feel even a little uncomfortable knowing that that is now going to be expanded and that could be the new lived experience as a college sports fan? No. Like, <laughs> not, not at all. Um, and, and so I think I look at the NCAA in a lot of ways. I frequently go back to when looking at the NCAA, though, if this rule would not apply to the kid with a scholarship to play trumpet in the band, why would this rule apply to a kid playing basketball on the floor or football on the field or whatever? Because... Truthfully, with the amateur status they hold and them not being paid, that is the equivalent thing, right? The the guy playing trumpet on a scholarship can go out and sell a CD of him playing the trumpet in a jazz way or whatever, an individual CD on his own, and make money off of his likeness like that. So that's why you and I would agree that the kids need to be able to do the same thing in football and basketball. Oh, no, Absolutely. That's 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 the same thing, right? That needs to carry over to these other sports as well. It's the same concept that just because you choose a school does not mean that you're forever home. If you want you, if you want to go back to your closer to home school, cross country school, whatever, the deal is really more about treating those kids if they're going to continue to be amateurs, treating those kids the same way you would treat the other students on campus. And that's what this comes back down to me is that there are kids increasing numbers, and you and I are both teachers in middle school we know high school students as well we coach sports that are transferring once they're in college over and over like those numbers continue to rise right and so that's becoming a more common practice for college students and so if we're going like that's a normal college thing why is that not allowed for the athletes if these are truly amateurs now if you were to have kids being paid and kids on contract and look you signed a two-year deal to make x amount of money to play for the university of texas well that's a different deal you signed a contract right I, but that's not where we are. We're not paying these kids. We're not doing that. The scholarships are all one-year scholarships, right? You are getting four opportunities or five or whatever with the red shirts at one-year scholarships because the coach can drop you at any point he wants, right? The coach can leave the school to go wherever he wants, whenever they want, right? That Those can all happen. It's just treating the kids the same way. And so I go back to this over and over again that if these rules need to be and feel like we're treating the kids the same way. Okay, I think that's fair. Now, we do need to point out SMU alumnus Parker Ainsworth wants to send kids back to Dallas. I mean, whatever. Um, but Dallas, no, Dallas produces a lot of trumpet players and football players. So maybe we bring both back. No, that's awesome. Um, let me let me let me pose. So, you know that on face I agree with you. Like I I have always been of the mindset that if a coach can just leave, like players should be able to leave because the reality is if I'm a player being recruited by these big schools, like I'm not going to these schools because of the business school 
or because of the history professor. The contacts who I have are in the athletic department and it's coaches. So if my coach leaves, that's my connection. Like, I understand I'm supposed to be choosing the school, but we know that that's not the reality of it, right? And so any rule that allows for kids to not be pigeonholed, I think is awesome. Now, the caveat that I mentioned, which is this idea of potentially recruiting kids off of rosters. That's what scares me. Because here's what we also know is the lived experience, Mr. Ainsworth. We know that in professional athletics, deals are done when they're not supposed to be done. We know that agents talk to teams and get trades taken care of and contracts are negotiated before they're supposed to be and players talk to each other. Like, we know that that's the reality of it. What we also should assume is that there's stuff going on behind the scenes in college athletics when it comes to this transfer stuff, right? There's nothing that says that a player who played with his buddy back in high school or on the AAU team couldn't just go to that guy and negotiate the transfer so that the dude leaves the school and comes to another school. Now, if it's, you know, Penn State and Indiana, I don't I don't know that I care that much. You know, I'll make it even my school. Like, if it's Kentucky and Tennessee, like, don't get me wrong, I care because I hate Tennessee. But I don't, <laughs> like, in general, I don't, those are, listen, to each their own, those are nuclear powers going up against each other. Where I do care is I don't think it would be cool for Ohio State to go recruit a kid off of Ohio's roster who Ohio State didn't recruit, now they're finding out the dude can play, and they think that he can come and play at a bigger school and, like, recruit that kid off of that team's roster. Like, if you are a kid who goes to Ohio State and you thought you were going to be a starting wide receiver as a true freshman, and it turns out you're the fifth-string kick returner, and now you're like, well, let me go to a smaller school, like, that's fine. I don't want that the other way around. I think that the thing that fixes that, though, is the idea there are finite roster spots, right? So if Ohio State is going to do that, pulling off the, you know, the top receiving person in University of Ohio history, whoever that may, whoever receiver that is, right? They're going to go pull yeah, him Oh, my in. God. Why would you say that so specifically? Who the hell is that? I have no idea who that is. No, but like, <laughs> if they're going to go pull in whoever that kid is, right? Uh, this kid has a crazy freshman year. Like, oh, my God, he's playing at Ohio State. Pull him in. They still have a fine number of roster spots. So that means that in their recruiting classes that follow or on their current, like, some other Ohio State talent now needs to find a new home, too. And I know that that's a domino effect that's no fun, but it's also – it will keep – it's not like Ohio State can just have 200 players, right? That's not quite how this works. You do have, I guess, more walk-on spots, and there are more spots on a college roster than on a pro roster. But it's it's not like they just get an unlimited amount of kids. Well, can uh, I throw they, something at you to consider? Because, like, Sam Pittman, who's the head coach at Arkansas, like, he specifically said, I got some roster spots open, and now I'm going to the transfer portal to try to fill these spots. So what we also know is that these schools don't always fill up their roster spots – with scholarship athletes. Like they they actually intentionally, especially with the transfer portal being what it is, and now knowing that this is the rule, they may intentionally keep spots open on their roster to go get guys. I can't work against a second or third string kid at Ohio State or just because it's a big so we're talking about we can change it to Clemson or whoever you want. <laughs> I, Ohio State fans are like, shut up. Right, stop talking about my Buckeyes. But you, you can't just make it about this big school second, third string kid and not also be like, but this benefits the first string kid that's balling out of the small school that has aspirations to go pro, but is playing at said small school. Right. I, I think that it, it works both sides of that sword. And that's important to remember, right? That the goal here would be for those big school. Yes. The goal is for those big schools to get the best players because that showcases them and their talents. All right, Mr. Cummings, our final thesis for the day is about 
some things changing after the last year that was. So their thesis reads, COVID protocols proved that no professional team sport in America needs in-person, off-season activities. You hear that thesis and you think what? I think B, maybe B plus. I'm wondering if the coach in me is what's <laughs> not allowing this to be an A, but I have one thing to consider. Mr. Ainsworth, you're a coach too. I'm curious. Yeah, we're really boring this week because I'm also in the B range. Um, <laughs> there's like only one or two hesitations I have, and I still don't know. Anyway, I, I'm, at, I'm in the B range. All right, Mr. Cummings, I don't know which one of us is Biggio and which one of us is Bagwa, but we feel like there's other Bs <laughs> out here with all these Bs on this thesis. So what do you think about the way COVID protocols changed pro sports off-season activities? I think our perspective is so different. When you say killer bees, I think of the former wrestling tag team, B. <laughs> Brian Blair, jumping Jim Bronzel. My wrestling fans know what I'm talking about. Um, so the NFLPA, there are several teams that have basically said, we're not doing off-season voluntary workouts because of COVID protocols. So I am uh, getting this from CBS Sports, and I'm reading this verbatim. Uh, from their article on their website, it says, through the NFLPA, players from the 49ers, Rams, Dolphins, Jets, Chargers, Falcons, Steelers, Raiders, Giants, Browns, Bears, Patriots, Lions, Buccaneers, Seahawks, Saints, Ravens, and Broncos, that's like almost every team, um, have issued statements expressing <laughs> their intent to forego participating in voluntary off-season workouts. The statements were released amid NFLPA Executive Director D. Smith and President J.C. Treder issuing a letter to players encouraging them to not attend voluntary workouts because of the ongoing COVID-19 pandemic. Uh, the Saints in released a statement, and in that statement said, we stand in solidarity with our fellow NFL players across the league to call on a fully virtual off-season. By now, the benefits to our health and safety are well-known with significant reductions to concussions, missed time, injuries, soft tissue recovery. We came together as a team, and we will not be attending in-person voluntary workouts. And I'm like, wow, okay. So, uh, Mr. Ainsworth, we were basically the same grade, but um, when I look at this, the only caveat I have are rookies. It feels like rookies should go to this stuff because pro sports are different than collegiate sports. That being said, Mr. Ainsworth, I look at this and I'm like, yeah, I kind of feel you guys. Um, I want my rookies to show up to do the voluntary thing so they can learn the playbook, especially if you're like a rookie quarterback, man. Learn the playbook, show up to voluntary stuff, get get with the rookies, build a bond amongst you guys. And then when we go now to uh, the preseason stuff, right, when we get into summer camp or spring training or uh, uh, any sort of preseason activities, it feels like now we've bonded our rookies and they're coming in and they're taking the lead. So uh, th that's my one caveat. And so that's why, you know, I'm pretty high on this. I do think that this could be a benefit from COVID. Now I'm talking football, Mr. Ainsworth, like my question for you, cause we're basically the same. I'm imagining that you have a couple of things to consider, but I am curious. Cause like from a basketball side, do you think this would work? I wonder as I look at the NBA currently with how many injuries are going on, I wonder how many of those would be happening if you had teams working out at team facilities and not 
as individuals throughout the off season. And I don't mean that to say that like every injury is preventable, right? Like some of it's just the wear and tear. Some of it's just freaky of nature stuff. Like it, it's not, it's not all preventable, but you wonder how many of the hamstringy type stuff or the out of shapeness here. Like Luka Doncic has played very well in the last six weeks, but he was kind of chunky to start the year, right? And, 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 I, and I say that as a guy that likes watching him play basketball. I hope people don't take that the wrong way. But whatever, you hate the Dow, you hate the Mavs. Let everyone. Well, knows. I do hate the Mavs, but that's not him. Um, <laughs> my my thought there is that like, does he end up looking kind of chunky at the start of the year if they're if if, if he's having to train in Dallas with the team, or if it's because I'm a Mavs hater, I look at the way James Harden showed up to the year, right? He showed up to the Rockets out of shape. He didn't want to be there. He he has a hamstring injury right now, right? The, is that because he wasn't with the team working out kind of stuff in the offseason? I don't know. I know that basketball has a rap, and football more so because the offseason's even longer, has a bad rap, though, of teams going to these big cities. They go to L.A., South Beach, wherever they want to go find a big place that other pro players that hang out in the offseason and work out. And that's kind of how you have the evolution of super teams is like Grant and Harden and Blake Griffin work out together in LA last off season. And now they're all nets. Whoa. Great, right. Like, so I don't necessarily mind that as much as I wonder if that's leading to guys not working out with necessarily the highest of high quality guys, like a pro team, do pro teams have better guys or not? And I don't necessarily know the answer to that directly. I'm sure they go team to team and person to person, but it certainly seems to be this offseason where you had a lot of time in the last 12 months for guys who work on their own. You were also seeing a lot of guys hurt. There's multiple factors, but it's certainly not one. That's the basketball side of things. In football, I think football is so much more of a team sport that I almost think my grade would be lower if this thesis were just football um, because so many things with the offensive line working in conjunction with each other or timing on routes and those kinds of things, I, I think so many aspects of this need to be guys working together. And so I would think that you'd benefit from having guys in person at your facility. I also think that you benefit from things like Zoom. And we've understood how much more we can do virtually. We're sitting here as two guys hosting a podcast in like four or five states away from running. Right? Like, <laughs> like you can do things remotely very well. And so I don't mean to say that you can't. But I think that football as a team sport does necessitate more stuff there's a lot of things that you can do on zoom i 100 agree you can't block that middle linebacker on inside zone though right so some of the right. stuff you do actually need to do in person um i i really think that i'm going to shift off of the b plus and even go down now to a b and maybe even a b minus there are certain groups that it feels like in football really need to be together uh i would say i honestly believe the defense you don't need defensive guys like def don't get me wrong it's important, but defensive guys, half the battle is lining up right. If you understand how to line up, you I think that you can work that over Zoom. And this is me having done that with my defense this offseason as a high school coach. I got my guys learning the defense via Zoom, and they lined up. Right, so did, I think the NFL guys could do it. I, I, I don't mean to say like to have you toot your horn right now, but y'all were pretty good. Right? Yeah, I mean, we went undefeated through the regular season. We ran into a very good team in the first round of playoffs. It's still disappointing. It hurts. It hurts. <laughs> but um, I think that pros can maybe make that happen. I will say, man, quarterbacks throwing to receivers, offensive line, learning how to block together. We know this, Mr. Ainsworth, as football coaches, former football players. 
Offense is timing. Defense is disrupting that timing. And when you start talking about timing, and hey, listen, Mr. Angel, here's something we don't always think of. You know who else needs to kind of get together? The long snapper and the specialist. The long snapper and the holder have to work things out. The long snapper and the punter have to work things out. Like So those pieces, I'm not saying they need to be together for as many voluntary offseason things as the NFL has, but... Could we come up with a system where maybe we work some of these things in? I, I will say that I'm 100% with you in basketball. I feel like I'm 100% with you in baseball, too. I never understood why pitchers and catchers had to report as early as they did. But if you're going to do that, you can have them report, and that's it. Listen, Aaron Judge can hit home runs regardless of when he shows up for spring training, right? You know what I mean? <laughs> like, come on, man. My my thing on football, though, is I think we're slowly also going to see, and maybe, maybe it won't be slowly, but – the idea of any contact in the offseason, we talk about like fitting up the middle linebacker as a guard or whatever, that is also slowly going to get phased out as a unnecessary contact kind of thing. And as that gets phased out, there's even less reason to meet up, right? No, absolutely. Um, eventually, I mean, listen, offseason football is basically kind of bear hug that you used to play on the playground anyway at this point. So, I mean, you're right. Maybe, maybe we really don't even need these guys to get together. Am I changing my perspective again? I don't know. Mr. Ainsworth, you really got me You got me wavering here. I think I'm well, going to stay with the B-minus, though. And it's hard to say, and last thing I'll say, is that it's hard to look at the last year as evidence for any of it because last year was not just these protocols, right? Last year was so much more into it besides just the idea that we had a bunch of Zoom meetings instead of a bunch of in-person meetings because everything about the offseason was dramatically different. And you had everything. Everyone was staying home all of the time. Whereas now, like, the Dallas Cowboys don't have to have everyone living in Dallas, so their offseason could be different. But it doesn't mean that they're not going to be going to gyms, right? Like, like that that was a thing that you didn't necessarily want to send your guys to big gyms last year either, right? And so I, I think that it's the reason we're both wavering on it back and forth is not because you and I are indecisive. Frankly, I think of you as a very decisive person, Shaka. It's more because <laughs> last season does not serve as evidence for any of this. It's interesting that teams are using it as evidence, even if it's not really evidence for this. It's so funny, too, because as you look at the teams, there's the Buccaneers. Of course, they want to do everything the same as last season. But then there's the Jets, <laughs> who need to blow up everything that ever happened last season, right? Like, it's, it really doesn't matter, like, whether you had success or not, as whether or not you're you're into this. It's, it, it, it is true. Last season, it's a case study for a lot of things, but it might not be a case study necessarily for virtual offseason and the effectiveness of it so much as it is a case study for virtual offseason and the structure of it. Friends, that is another edition of FN Sports. Uh, Mr. Ainsworth, hopefully you'll enjoy Mother's Day with your family. I will, <laughs> next week, we'll hear all the wonderful stories. I want you to tell folks about what's going on in midweek, mid-range. Who's going to be covering for you this week since you're spending all this time with your mom? <laughs> uh, so this past Wednesday, as of when you're hearing this, um, I sat down with Jeremy and Jamal, and we talked about some end-of-season stuff. We talked about Russell Westbrook triple-doubles and what that really means. Fun, fun conversation on that. It went a little long. We're a little over an hour and 10 minutes at that point. So go check that out on our YouTube channel, The Midweek Midrange. This upcoming Wednesday, so Wednesday of the week, this episode of FN Sports drops. Uh, I'll just plug it by saying we have a threesome of guests coming on the show this week that all work together very well, and they're always a great time. So I'm really looking forward to this week's episode to wrap up the NBA's regular season. So be sure to tune in to Midweek Midrange Wednesdays nights at 9 o'clock Eastern time on YouTube and Twitter uh, through the live app through Twitter. Um, we're always 
live every Wednesday night, 9 o'clock on the East Coast. Uh, obviously, you got to trickle it down if you're going back west. But <laughs> we're going to be talking all things hoops, uh, wrapping up the season this Wednesday. So don't be afraid to pull up midweek, midrange. Absolutely. Uh, Mama Ainsworth recommended and Mama Ainsworth approved. Uh, Mr. Ainsworth, <laughs> you want to go ahead and give folks your socials? That's, that's really funny because anyone that is friends with me on Facebook knows that. Like that I, wasn't a joke. Everyone that's, that's friends with me on Facebook knows My that's mom wants to full, watch the midweek, midrange every week, but she can't find it. So every week I <laughs> Post it as my Facebook status once we're done. Um, you can find my personal stuff on Facebook, I guess, or on Twitter and Instagram at Painsworth512. That's at P A I N S W O R T H 512. All one word on Twitter and Instagram. We also have an FN Sports Twitter page that's at FN Sports2. That's F I N S P R T S number two, all one word. I'll use dash PA, Shaka use dash CC. That way you know which one of us you're talking to. Shaka, we got Instagram too. Absolutely. You can find us on Instagram at F underscore N underscore sports. You can find me on social media, Twitter, Instagram at Shaka Cummings at C-H-A-K-A-C-U-M-M-I-N-G-S friends. Thank you guys for listening. Happy Mother's Day to all the moms out there. Please go out, like, subscribe, share, do all the wonderful things to help out our podcast. I don't know, maybe drop a little link to your moms. You help everybody out. (laughs) And please remember, when it comes to sports, don't fuck with us. Later, guys. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner.